Our world continues to change and push us in ways we have not been challenged before. On this show, we talk about these challenges, how to be aware of them, face them, and overcome them in your life. This is David Waldus, creator of the Align Living System. And I'm Nick Musica, Align Living Coach. Welcome to the Align Living System Podcast. Welcome to the Align Living System Podcast. Nick and I are here today. And our topic is why it is so important to own our greatness. And let me just start with, with my theory on that. Um, and this is this is one that tends to get uh, a little bit of pushback at first. It, it tends to start with people kind of getting uncomfortable as I talk about this. And so if that's you and you go right into a, a, a piece of uh thinking of this as talking about being better than or uh, any any of those pieces where you're like, oh, this is a hierarchical concept. And so you're saying, you know, you're here and they're there uh, and it doesn't feel good to you. Please stick with the conversation because I, I think there's some really important pieces underneath that that are counterintuitive. So they're not something we just look at and go, oh, that makes sense. We have to sit with it for a little bit. And so I'm going to introduce some concepts today that may take a little bit to digest and have huge potential to be triggering. And so we're going to start with a concept that says, this is why it's so important that we own our greatness. And we'll start by saying, what happens when we don't own our greatness? And it makes me think of the genius that instead of recognizing that they're a genius, they live in a world where everybody else is just a freaking idiot. Right. And and how common is that, you know, where smart people think everybody else is stupid. And so what that is, is they haven't owned their greatness. And so instead, they're seeing this as a level playing field and they're going, the rest of y'all are idiots. They're going to judgment. And so I'd say that's one of the first defense mechanisms we get when we have, haven't owned our greatness and we look at other people there can be a tendency to judge. And that's one of the coping mechanisms. So if you go, oh, well, that's not me. You know, I, I see everybody else, you know, I, I don't I don't judge them for where they're at. Okay, that's just one of the coping mechanisms. So so stick with us. The, the other one that we see is when somebody hasn't owned their greatness, and it can go hand in hand with this first one, because they're kind of in the same category of um, of not not feeling their identity connected with their exceptionality in that specific area is they may demonstrate a lot of arrogance. And what they're still doing is they're trying to defend their greatness because they haven't owned it yet. And so they get really arrogant and act like they're better than other people. And this is the part of this very counterintuitive. If they start to own their greatness and go, gosh, you know what? You know, I'm a highly intelligent person. I like, I, I, my, like I've taken an IQ test. I know I sit, as a major outlier in this. And so when I look at other people, I recognize that this isn't a level playing field when it comes to intelligence, that they're operating where they're at, and I don't need to judge them for it because they're operating in a normal range. And that's not bad. I'm honoring my own exceptionality, and therefore I don't have to think of myself in this arrogant way. I can be humble with it. And we often see that with people that have really owned their greatness. And we often see it in a lot of sports figures that owned it. They they have a humbleness. A lot of you know we see some leaders uh, that that are that way. Maybe not as many as we'd like to, but we do see some. 
And we also see athletes that haven't owned their greatness that are constantly being arrogant or judging others. Okay. And so the other side of this now, and this is if, if you're looking at that going, well, that's not me. I don't think of myself as better. This, this might be something that is more relevant to you. And, I, and I've seen this a ton. And I think it's more common with empathic people is their coping mechanism for not owning their greatness is they play small. They kind of dumb themselves down. And, and maybe that's not a very inviting word for people that that would would operate this way, but they basically minimize their greatness. They kind of don't excel because they can feel the effect of how it makes other people feel small. And so maybe they don't develop a part of themselves. Maybe they don't share a part of themselves. Maybe they're really kind of hide it and quiet it so it doesn't make other people uncomfortable. And that is kind of the other side of the consequences of hiding our greatness is we don't share it with the world. We don't have the impact that we're here to have because other it may make certain insecure people uncomfortable. And so welcome, Nick. There you go. There's our uh, our, our intro to, Thanks, David. Uh, to the concept of why it's important to own our greatness. I was just being quiet over here, just feeling uncomfortable sticking with the conversation. <laughs> kidding, kidding. kidding. <laughs> You're like, I, I don't know if I have something to add. I don't know if uh... <laughs> I was I was going to be defensive one way or the other, but I thought just just be quiet and recede into the background, which is yeah. I, I think what you should do is just push back with arrogance. <laughs> okay, because right, that that, that works. Shot. That's a great coping mechanism as well. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So we we were talking a little bit before, and uh, before we started to record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I asked the co- question, you know, like, how how would you explain Michael Jordan? He's, yeah, he's at the yeah, top yeah, of his I, game, um, or was at the top of his game, right? But but he's known for uh, outlandish challenges, bets with his teammates when when they're going from game to game, you know, on the bus, mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of always challenging folks. And meanwhile, he's he's arguably the best at what he does. Yeah, what was yeah. Yeah, and, and that's it. Like everything's a challenge. Like if you've seen the, there's a great documentary on him, probably on Netflix, maybe. And there's a couple of stories like this one where they're on the bus uh, with his teammates and they're gambling, and he comes back and joins the game, and it's like you know here's this multi multi millionaire, and he wins like two bucks from each of them, and they're like, what's the big deal? You took two bucks from us. He goes, he goes, it's not about how much I got. I just wanted what you had. You know, it was me taking from you what you had, me winning. Uh, you know, I heard another story about him the other day where um, this guy was talking about, I forget which, another now famous uh, basketball player, talking about when he was a rookie and being there, getting ready to play in this game. Uh, and Michael Jordan was in the locker room, came up to him, and he wasn't a player in that, but he was just like the 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 guy telling the story was just in awe of like, oh, my God, there's MJ, there's Michael Michael Jordan. And he comes up and he doesn't say a word to him the whole time they're all there. And then just as he's about to leave the locker room, he walks up to him and goes, he goes, hey, I put big money on this game. Don't fucking blow it. <laughs> and walks out. And he's like, that was his, inter- you know, that was the whole thing, the only thing that he said to him. Um, and and so the, the answering that question then is, you know, what does that look like for Michael Jordan, right? You think like this guy has known his excellence? Well, arrogance obviously is a part of that. But why does he defend that? Mm-hmm. And what I see with that is his perspective is, a king of the hill perspective. There's only one person allowed at the top and other other people's greatness 
is a threat to his. So he stands on top of the hill and puts his shoe directly on their forehead and pushes them back down again. Anybody that like what his whole way of being in life is very uncomfortable, right? It's not, he hasn't reached a, a, a personal development place within himself where he's competing with himself in his own, everybody's a threat to his king of the hill. And so he's constantly in battle with his surroundings. And, you know, I'm sure his life, you know, created that. And so, you know, that does not create a grounded, stabilized connection with our true self fulfillment. It creates a threat and an attack and a battle. And life, you know, is always, you're always in this risk situation. And to him, because he was so exceptional, it wasn't really a risk. It was just a chance for him to prove it over and over again by beating mm -hmm. down other people. Uh, and if he had owned that exceptionality uh, and found comfort in that, you know, it makes me wonder what would that look like as far as, you know, would he have even become better because he wasn't so focused, like all of his drive to become better was about beating everybody else. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting for some people it never evolves into how to, what are the little nuances I can do to take myself to the next level because this is about my relationship with self and I'm not really seeing them as competition anymore. Um, but, you know, playing poker with somebody for two bucks was competition. It was a threat. Mm -hmm. Like what would have happened in his inner world if he lost those two bucks? Mm, because that's how he thinks about things. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been, yeah. he, he would sit there and just probably keep coming back until he won because he couldn't walk away a loser because of, it right. meant so much to his inner right. world. Yeah. And he would stew in the loss, the $2 yeah. loss. Yeah. Rather than, I'm I'm the most exceptional basketball player in the world. Like, yeah. what do I care about a poker game? Right, right, right. It, 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 he didn't own his greatness. It had to be everywhere. Right. Right. Okay. So, so how do people even know what their greatness is before they even get to these defense mechanisms? Yeah. 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 And you know, it's it's interesting. There's always a thematic piece to it. And, you know, I mean, to me, it almost feels cliche, which I think it's because I've talked about it so much. And so I'm hoping this doesn't feel cliche to people listening, is that it's often the things we take for granted. You know, mm. we we generally think of what we're good at is what we've worked hard to accomplish. And it's almost like and it's so funny because it's obvious it's right in our face where we're just doing something we're just naturally exceptional at. It feels like it takes no effort. And so because we didn't effort at it, it's really hard for us to give us the value. And so it's so often the things that we just naturally do that we think of um, in a very minimized way because it's just our innate self doing them. You know, I mean, I, I think about that a lot when I think about my ability to tap in and intuitively mm. know, read people. Like I never thought of that for years as something that I would, you know, harness and utilize as like my career or it was just like, oh yeah, it's just my way of being. Like it's just very natural for me. You know, I'm, I'm actually a school teacher or I'm a soccer mm -hmm. coach. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the once I started to really go like, oh, wow, like this is something that needs to develop in me. It wants to come out. It wants to be, you know, my greatest aspect of who I am. Then all of a sudden it started to take on a different thing of a, of a sense of responsibility to that gift rather than it just being this thing that's just kind of always running inside me. And so I, I think when we look at each of our, our lives, you know, what is it that you're just innately good at? And I think we tend to minimize it. For some people, it's like connecting with kids. For some people, it's 
uh, you know, how other people feel around them. And so when our when we have this like accept exceptional emotional intelligence or this exceptional energy, you know, or or you know whatever it is for you, some people say exceptional in, uh, intel like intellectual intelligence. You know, how do we end up operating in a way where that becomes the important offering we have? And I'll, I'll give a uh, kind of a disclaimer in this too, or, or something to watch for, I should say, is you know we've talked about the concept before of secondary gifts and primary gifts. And I think it's worth reiterating here if you haven't heard it. And so a secondary gift is things that we were trained into. And so it's often we're trained into it by school. So maybe like we're really good at math and, you know, we, we've gone through school. And so we think, oh, I, I should be doing something with math because I'm really good at it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, it's the things that we've done at home where, you know, everybody likes it when I am easygoing and go with the flow and, you know, or cleaning up after people. And so that's become like, I feel like, you know, I think I need to do something in life where I'm making other people's lives easier because that's really when I feel the most myself. But that usually comes from sort of a, some sort of a wound where it was something that we were doing growing up where in our family, it's how we stayed safe. It's how we created appreciation for ourselves. And so when we're looking at what our gifts are and, and how we want to operate in the world, I think we have to take a really clear look at, is this a way of being that we developed as a coping mechanism to make things go smoother and people really appreciated it from us? And we love that appreciation. And so we started to think we actually liked doing the thing that created the appreciation rather than doing the thing. And so we developed a skill set in that and then we've thought of it as one of our greatest skills, but it's really a secondary gift. It's a secondary skill that we developed as a coping mechanism to deal with what was going on. Our primary <laughs> gifts are the opposite of that almost. They're, they're usually the things that we created that disrupted it and created the problems. Nick, it looks like you're about to say something. So Yeah, it, it sounded like, and, and you said it right at the tail end there, those secondary gifts are uh, sort of reactions to uh, unmet needs and trauma or something uh, yeah, that, it's that the we... things that make other people happy more than ourselves. And then we yeah. get a secondary head off that, like, oh, this is when I'm being a good boy. This is when I'm being a good girl. This right. is when people really appreciate me. And people go, oh, my gosh, you won the spelling bee. You're amazing. You know, yeah. like, maybe that is your greatest gift, but maybe not. Why did you develop that? Was yeah. it to yeah. make up for something or to please somebody else? Or yeah, was there great scratching. joy in spelling? Yeah, yeah, I'm possibly scratching a, a, an emotional itch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so so then the, like the opposite of this, our primary gifts, they're often the things that were disruptive. You know, and it's funny that uh, um, <laughs> this is, uh, you know, I've talked a bit on here about some of the uh, work that I did with Bo Eason. And um, one of the things he, he has to do when you're, when you go to his first event is you come up with one true sentence. And it comes from a story that you tell about yourself um, that captures it. And uh, and then uh, some of us get a chance to go up on stage and share our one true sentence. And so when I got a chance to go up on stage, my one true sentence was the same thing that people seek me out and pay me for now as an adult was what I was constantly in trouble for as a kid. And it's kind of funny how that, 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 uh, that matches here, because what that is was my ability to see things and name them and call them out into the, to the clarity and the truth so that people can work through them. And when I would do that as a kid, I didn't understand. Like I was just saying what I thought was obvious. 
but it was really what people were trying to hide. It was what they were trying not to deal with. And what could be more annoying than this little kid that shows up and calls out your deepest, darkest truths at probably very inopportune times. And I was always in trouble for saying things that upset people. And so <laughs> you can't see Nick laughing, but picturing this little kid that's always like, why would you say that? I'm like, why? I don't understand what's happening. This isn't, aren't we all talking about the same thing? And so I was, I, you know, I developed this kind of like, I upset people, people get mad at me mentality around what is my greatest gift. And the truth is that as an adult now, I have the right context, you know, where people are actually seeking me out for this. And I'm working with them to see very clearly what it is that they're hiding from themselves or what it is that is their next point to really open up who they are. And it, and it really fast tracks their growth. And, and it is probably one of my greatest gifts. And so I was always in trouble for that as a kid. It was, like my parents were like, oh God, what is David going to say next? You know, because adults are constantly trying to hide hmm. stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's funny. I was just laughing, thinking about, you know, this is the other side of, of my personality too, is, is always finding humor and then inappropriate. But when I was on stage and, you know, I, and I said that one true sentence of, you know, in front of this audience, I know there's like a hundred people there. And I, and I, I, I said, you know, what I, what people seek me out for and pay me for today is what I was constantly in trouble for as a kid. And Bo asked, he's like, well, you know, what do you, what do you do? You know, what is it that people seek you out for? I go, oh, I'm a stripper. <laughs> so, I don't know why that seemed so funny to say from the stage <laughs> at the time, but <laughs> just picturing people thinking like, well, I can see how you get in trouble for that as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously that was not the real truth. So I corrected it and then talked about the true reality. But uh, maybe that was one of those coping mechanisms we talked about last week mm. about bringing humor to the discomfort. Um, mm. So yeah, mm -hmm. never a stripper, but uh, I I do see things that, uh, you know, as a kid I would share and express that would upset people. And now it's perfect because it is my greatest gift. and It's what I get to do for a living and Funny. offering to yeah. And, and there there was a little bit of minimizing in there, even if it was just for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I can feel that. Um, Funny. And it is because it was, and, and so when you look at your life, you think about, you know, what were the traits that wanted to come out of me um, that were just disruptive? Because our greatest gifts usually disrupt the mainstream. They usually break the control mechanisms around us. They're usually mm -hmm. somewhat iconoclastic. They push back on the status quo mm -hmm. because the status quo is not about greatness. No. The culture is not about exceptionality. Nope. And so whenever part of us that is great and is exceptional tries to express itself in that structure, it usually gets some really hard pushback. Um, you know, like I spent a lot of time in my room <laughs> because of it. Why would you say that? Like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Huh. Um. So so can we can we explore Jordan a little bit? Yeah 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 sure. Yeah. So so he was in as far as I know, he was uh, he didn't make the high school basketball team. Mm -hmm. That probably put a little a little a little dig in him right now. Now he's something to prove. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. Yeah. Who Never knows what again, happened right? before then? Yeah. Right. 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 And so now now he gets on the team. Mm -hmm. And now he just continues down that track of get on the team. 
right? Like that's yeah. the mentality of always yeah, getting be on the it. best. Nobody yeah. else can shut me out. Nobody else can block me. Yeah. And um, it just, just keeps evolving, rinse and repeating, but just get, getting, gets more severe. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the other path that I could have taken could have looked something like what? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, our wounds really support us at first, you know, you know, that expression that says what got me here isn't going to get me there. Like that mm -hmm. wound got him into excellence. Right. And it, and it helped him be at the top of his game. It helped him go, I'm not going to be bypassed anymore. I'm going to be exceptional. I'm not going to get caught. You know, I'm, I'm going to beat everybody at everything. And, you know, I mean, he's still alive, right? Maybe he is going to go through this growth point at some point and goes, God, this is just an uncomfortable way to live. You know, I, this doesn't bring me fulfillment. What if I recognize that in certain areas of my life where I am so excellent, like, I'm not doing the same things to prepare that other people are. And so this isn't about them. It's about these little things I'm trying to execute inside myself, the little growth points. Because when we reach excellence, we don't usually have these big jumps. We do these little tiny things that create the next level of growth. And then another little tiny thing, a little nuance that creates the next level of growth. And, you know, that whole piece of, of when we're a beginner at something, we have these big jumps and leaps. In growth and then the more exceptional we get at something it's about fine-tuning and fine-tuning and fine-tuning and fine-tuning and so you know obviously he does that but it's all being driven by the idea of there's a threat to me and i need to stamp it out versus i really enjoy bringing my excellence to everything because where is the joy in that where is the fulfillment in that because the even the moment you win you're under threat again instantly. And and so, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think there is an opportunity for him in this lifetime to go, you know, am I going to allow more joy in? Am I, am I going to recognize that my greatness own it and be okay with, you know, it not being under threat? Like it's an established truth. And so I don't need to defend it constantly. I mean, the 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 opposite and also different category opposite end of the spectrum. I think based on what I've seen is Warren Buffett, mm. who is a you know multi-billion dollar uh, net worth. And when you see something printed on him, it, he, he basically, he's basically talking about varying grounded principles. Right. Right. Yeah. I've learned yeah. something and I want to teach it to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's nothing about arrogance. It's nothing about get yeah. rich quick. It's not, it's, it's, um, very basic, uh, hard to execute because of impatience and what the other, what the world throws at you, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's all very logical and it makes sense. And he's sharing with, with you and, and he's, and it's not from, there's no picture of him on the, on the hood of his Ferrari like th that right. just, that's just not present. Yeah. At yeah, all. And, and here's the thing, right? When we really owned our excellence, like we want to share it with the world. We want to fully own it. And it becomes the antidote for arrogance. It becomes humbleness. And, and it becomes about a gift that we're giving rather than a gift that we're hiding. And, you know, it, it's a whole different experience. And we're not judging other people for it because we recognize the own exceptionality of it. We're not going, oh, look at these losers. that Like, they don't even have $100 to their name. We go, I want to help people. I have something that will help lift other people up. And I want to share that. 
And I, I think when you look at your own greatness, and again, secondary gifts are are usually not about that. Secondary gifts often have um, a piece of of judgment to it, a piece of, even if it's like, you know, I was the one that always helped out around the house and my family loved it. I'm a helper. That's my greatest gift. What about people that aren't helping? How do you feel about them? I guarantee that there's a judgment there because what you're doing is good. What they're doing is bad. And, and when we don't fully own this or we stay in secondary gifts rather than allowing our focus to move into a primary gift and then are selective in how we use our secondary gifts to support that primary gift, because being helpful is not a bad thing, but if it's happening in a self-sacrificing way or in this impulsively where we can't help but do it, where we're not offering our greatest gifts because we're so busy taking care of everybody else's stuff, then it does become a problem. And what does it look like to be giving but doing it with your greatest gifts? Well, Warren Buffett's a perfect example of that, right? Like I wanna give you sound principles to make your life better and offer what I've learned through my own genius. So there's a, so maybe, let's see if this is possible. Is there a corresponding positive trait to the negative ones that you outlined? Can we do that? So like instead of defensive, Mm -hmm. uh i mean all three are some form of yeah 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 i think it's kind of what say where it's like instead of it's instead of arrogance it's humbleness yeah right, right. and, and right. instead of making ourselves small we feel like we really need to own our gifts so like we feel a sense of responsibility to bring it to the world as an offering not because we're great and amazing but because we've been given something that can help others so sharing. And, and, it, and it's about lifting other people up from a place of, I've got something figured out here. I've got something pretty exceptional going. There's something I, I know that I know when I share it with you will make a huge difference in your life. And, and so that polarity piece, um, and, and again, from judgment, it's to, it's to offering teachings, it's to offering help and support. You know, it's like, do you want to knock the person down or do you want to lift them up? And, and, and that is the difference and, and everything flips. And, and here's the, the part that's so remarkable about it. And so I'm hoping that some of you that felt uncomfortable with this or maybe judged by, you know, what you might've called elitism or something like that, as I started to, to share these concepts, I hope you're going, oh, wow. You know, like it's interesting that judgment came up around this. There's something I'm uncomfortable with around. And that's really what it means, right? When we have judgment, there's something we're uncomfortable with. And so, uh, you know, where in it is you, in, where is there something in you that maybe you're not letting come out into its full force because maybe there's people close to you that are uncomfortable with that. But when you start to get in touch with the impact that that can have on other people's lives in a positive way, you start to give yourself permission to do it. If you, if you do it from a place of arrogance and you feel like, oh, I'm hurting people when I'm doing this and it's either I don't care because I'm great and that's their problem or the judgment comes up because I don't like the way they make me feel when I step into my greatness. But when we wash all that away and just go, gosh, this is important. Like we all have gifts and we got to figure out what they are and be in them if we really want to be in our fulfillment. And, uh, and if we minimize them, it doesn't happen. You know, if we don't own them, it creates other problems as we've been talking about. And so there, there's something, uh, you know, really powerful about this concept. And society says, you know, like you shouldn't be so, you know, it's like they use words like you're too proud of that. You know, you're, you're too, 
um, to whatever versus, you know, the people we see in the world that have owned their gifts, that have that humbleness, that have that giving spirit, that want to lift up other people with it. Uh, it's magical. And we admire them greatly, but they probably had a process to get there. And we, and if we watched them go through that process, there'd probably be a lot of judgment of them in it. But once they've owned it, we don't judge them. We go, wow, that's really exceptional what they're offering. That's super cool. I, and I, I heard you say, maybe, or at least this is how I interpret it. I mean, there's a certain societal dynamic that mm -hmm. when you try to break out of those secondary gifts and go mm -hmm. for the primary, it's, 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 it's not wanted frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's this little bit of like, get back into place, get back into line, right? Because you work here doing this thing for this person who's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to praise them. But for anyone else who's looking to seek their own greatness, mm -hmm. even though we just said we praise this person, mm -hmm. uh, we want, we'd prefer you to get back into line. Yeah. You're going to have to break the status quo to do it. And you're right. going to upset the people that have appreciated your willingness to set aside your greatest gifts and live in your secondary gifts because those secondary gifts were developed to make them comfortable and we create a disruption. And sometimes life circumstances, you know, we have a change of circumstances. We change work locations, mm -hmm. we change relationships or get out of a relationship or mm -hmm. a parent passes away. And it gives us these, you know, like there's obviously a lot of sadness with it, but there's a new freedom and opportunity that, that all of a sudden appears on our plate to be more who we are because the structure right. around us broke down um, or maybe we lost a job or, you know, a lot of it isn't stuff we choose because this is uncomfortable stuff. Um, and it, it's not, it's not going to be the people around you going, you know what? <laughs> saying to little me as a little kid going, Hey David, could you, what was that you were saying, you know, about my deepest, darkest secrets that I've been trying to hide from myself for the last 10 years or 20 years. And you're just talking about, about like, could you, could you, could you uh, elaborate on that you little asshole eight-year-old <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. i never had those conversations so, so you, you were saying you got sent to your room a lot huh <laughs> go outside yeah <laughs> i mean i was such a disruptive kid not knowing it feeling like i was being helpful feeling like you know like feeling like it was something i wanted to share sure. and offer and talk about sure. um and it was met with very you know, negative response. And of course it was, right? Like I'm not blaming the people that met with a negative response. That's what it looks like quite often when our primary gifts want to come out mm. and we don't know how to create the right venue for it. We don't know how to create the right way of sharing it. We don't know, like it's undeveloped, it's raw. And raw primary gifts, you know, because of their disruptive nature, there's no nuance to it. There's no, we don't, we don't know how to navigate it. And we're seldom given the right container to do it in either. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there may be case in point, there may be a point in history as a young child somewhere where there was an impression laid upon you and you mm -hmm. changed the path mm -hmm. uh, yeah. away from your primary to yeah, something right else. Yep. Right. Got trained it's, into what does the world want for me rather than what am I naturally wanting to bring to it? Right. Right. And we go, well, naturally what I want to bring to it creates disruption. But when I do what the world wants for me, it creates positive results and I'm appreciated. And yeah. then I become kind of addicted to that appreciation. And I think that I, I start to think I enjoy these things that I'm doing. But there's 
some sort of a gap in the lack and that fulfillment. There's a flatness to it because we're not doing it because it needs to come out of us. We're doing it to elicit a response. Yeah, as a it. reaction to our primary not being appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're set up, right? And so if you're not in your primary gifts, like, yeah, like look at the 90% of the world isn't, 95% of the world isn't. And so like, I hope what we get out of this is an exploration of where am I allowing my secondary gifts to override my primary gifts? And have I even lost touch with them? You know, for some people it's like art, you know, or, or something like they were expressing that and, and that got shut down in their house because it wasn't valued. Uh, you know, maybe it was physical movement because art was valued in your house and physical movement wasn't physical expression. Mm. wasn't. And so, you know, whatever that is like, it, it, it doesn't have to do with right or wrong. It has to do with what was the the climate of my household? What was the climate of my neighborhood, my community? What was valued and what was devalued? You know, for, like I said, for some people, some communities and families, sports is like the biggest value and something artistic would be a waste of time. And other families, something artistic would be the most valued and something sports-based would be a waste of time. Um, as opposed to, really valuing whatever it is that wants to come out of the individual. You know, what is their primary gifts that they're trying to naturally express? But most of us have had those shut down. And I, and I think it's exciting, you know, you know, as, as much as there are challenges in our culture right now, there, there is a much greater sense of expression. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot more kids that are growing up without their primary gifts being squashed. Mm. We need more of that. <laughs> we do need more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, this brings up a lot of reflection. Um, and, and um, you know, it's, I, I think that if you're sitting here and you're kind of in this quiet place going, oh shit. Wow. Okay. Um, quite often when we start to play this game and, and, and dissect this, it, there can be a fear that it's going to create massive disruptions, but it doesn't need to. You, what you may find is, you know what, I, I, I can actually in my same work environment, in my same relationships, I can just start to shift a little bit of where I'm putting my emphasis. And maybe I'm going to draw this old part of me out that I shut down that's actually going to be complementary to my experience. You know, it's not always the case, but we don't, we can't, I don't think it's healthy to go into a, oh shit, what's going to happen? Because most of us have some sort of a trauma hanging over our heads from the disruptiveness of what it was like as a child when we brought that out. So it's going to bring this natural innate fear of disruption as we want to reintroduce it into our life. And we're in a different context. We're in a different container. We have greater uh, understanding of how to communicate or, or or how to create the right containers and spaces. And it doesn't mean we need to fall into that. That it doesn't mean we get the same results, the same reaction. And so we may have to work through a little bit of that. Oh shit, what's about to happen if I start to play with this? Cool. It's awesome guidance. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. This is a fun conversation. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, it's kind of fun because it, in like for, in session, it's so easy, right? Because you go, oh, here's what's coming up for you. Like, here, here's the thing that you hid. I can see it very clearly. You know, here, here's the secondary gifts that you're developing, that you've developed right now. And that's where you, mm -hmm. why that lack of fulfillment, why that flatness is showing up in your life. And when you start to put more energy into this thing that you shut down as a kid or was shut down for you as a kid, like you're going to start to feel more aliveness and then it's going to tie into everything we do. You're going to start to feel, um, you know, more energy in your body. You're going to start to feel uh, more vitality. Like, like we can't, none of this is just energetic. None of this is about, oh, I go into my alignment. I feel more 
more vital, more energetic, more tapped in, great. Now we also got to allow the stuff that's been, we've covered up to come out um, so that we can live that fulfillment because it's not mm. just having a different internal space. Like it translates into how we action. express ourselves. Yeah. You need that, that action is the follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really cool stuff. And Super so, cool. Yeah. Great, great conversation, Nick. Um, yeah. Anything, anything for you to add before we uh, wrap it up today? I, th I think we're good. I think we landed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I, I think one last thing that might be kind of interesting uh, to to share the, is about animal communication for you. Mm. And so, uh, you okay if I put you on the spot? Yeah, back? yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, and we were actually Nick and I went for this long hike yesterday, and we were talking about uh, coming up with his domain name for his animal communication website. And it, it was funny, you know, he's like trying to go. What about nickmusica.com? How, how does that one sound? And and this whole idea of ownership and identity, right? And, and if nickmusica.com is about animal communication, that's owning the idea that Nick Musica is, his primary gift is animal communication, not SEO, not, mm -hmm. you know, all these other things that he's offered that have been, you know, incredibly successful and exceptional. But your greatest gift is this part of you that's emerged out of you that mm -hmm. has such a huge impact and people appreciate so much when you offer it to them. Um, yeah. Any, any response to that as I just put you on the spot with that for uh... <laughs> my, my general comment is yes, right now. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. And, and there, there was a point in the, in the, in the car where we're talking about it and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, the domain name. And I was like, Oh, that feels, that feels a little uncomfortable. And you're like, Oh, that's probably it. And I'm like, mm, mm -hmm. that's <laughs> right. Primary gifts are not comfortable because they become dangerous to go from a secondary gift to a primary gift internally, yeah. because we have an old trauma about being judged or about it not going well. And so of course that first piece is going to be like gulp shit. Yeah. Um, and you, we also mentioned somewhere in the past, 30, 40 minutes, what, however, we, how long we've been talking about um, people's reaction to the primary gift after mm -hmm. once you go through your own path, right? Yeah, and once that, you've and owned it and established back, it. Back, yeah. Um, and from doing a, a few sessions last week, um, you know, getting someone a day later to send an email saying, really, thank you for your time doing this yeah. was, was very meaningful. It was, it was all but 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is the conversation within 15 minutes was enough to give this person some amount of insight and different ways of thinking about things mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. clearly uh, was helpful and and most likely need to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, so and that, how uncomfortable that is, is that's emerging, you're stepping out and, you know, and then for sure has you on a podcast and they just call you an animal communicator. And that's 100%. And, and then you just have to deal with it inside your body and go, <laughs> oh shit, like, this feels unsafe. This feels unsafe. Ah. And, that, and then the, we go, shit, I guess I'm an animal communicator. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. And th this is the real time experience right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's, yeah. what's, isn't that great about being able to do that right here, right now? Right here. Real time processing. Yeah. And and it's cool. I mean, when, when once you, and, there, and there's still a little bit of a struggle around it. Um, and, and the reality of it is but it is a thing and it is working and and there, there's a very clear path to yeah. to more more yeah. more and better and more evolved and all the all the more good things
Yeah. And I, I really completely like I I never called myself a psychic before. I, you know, I'm like, I don't dress up in a costume. You know, this is about pragmatic, grounded action to create mm -hmm. positive changes in your life and make it more fulfilling. And if I call myself a psychic, people are going to, you know, ask me about relationships and, you know, it's, it's not going to be about personal development and I'm going to be judged. I'm going to look like a kook. And and so for years, I would just say I'm highly intuitive or, you know, I'd use some sort of euphemism or I'd, I'd talk around it or I'd say, you know, like I, I get a lot. I feel like I naturally have a lot of insight, you know, like just like kind of bullshit. And it doesn't work. And yeah. and in the last couple of years, I've just said, yeah, I'm a psychic. And people go, oh, cool. And all of a sudden, that's really interesting to them and fascinating because I've fully owned it. There's no part of me that's like, oh, shit, okay, I'm a psychic. And they're like, oh, okay. Nice chatting right. with you. I'll see you later. Like, yeah, there's no no apology tied to it. No apology, right? This mm -hmm. is what my greatest gift. It's why I'm here. It's what I have to offer. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of my primary reasons for being on this planet. And when we own it from that perspective, you know, it shows up with a humbleness. It shows up with an uplift. It it shows up with non judgment to others and and being judged. Like it just doesn't leave room for any of that. And mm -hmm. and it becomes about our our offering and and what we have to bring and what we have to give. Uh, and that's a whole different experience. So, yeah. Well, thanks for playing that little game at the end, Nick. That was fun. I hope it was you fun for it. you. My pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, again, uh, you know, we'd love your feedback. Uh, mm -hmm. What what primary gifts, what secondary gifts are you working through? How does that want to come out of you? And of course, you know, we're, we're available to work with you in person, one-to-one -one or in group programs, uh, if you're wanting to bring more of that out. And so, yeah, thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Thanks, folks. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. And if you did, please subscribe so you can catch the next episode. If you want to learn more about the Aligned Living System and how it could support you in your life, check out davidwaldus.com.